Thanks for joining me on iHeartRadio and the Tech of Sports this week. And a great new book, um, enjoying reading it. And pleasure to be joined by the author, Clayton Truder, uh, college professor, sports writer, and uh, very detail-oriented college uh, basketball fans will, uh, will know and appreciate uh, the, uh, the subjects of the book. And like I said, uh, really enjoying reading Boston Ball. Rick Pitino, Jim Calhoun, Gary Williams, and the Forgotten Cradle of Coaches. Of course, we're talking about the city of Boston. And, and Clayton, thanks for coming on this week. Rick, thanks so much for having me. Uh, the book is great, and uh, leading into college basketball season, this is really uh, wetting my whistle and uh, kind of take me behind. Uh, you, you always come up with uh, interesting topics and subjects. Uh, kind of take us behind how you came up with this one. The concept for Boston Ball happened when I was living in Boston. I went, I went to graduate school at Boston College, and I'm a basketball junkie. I would go to college games many nights a week during the winter. And it occurred to me that three different Hall of Fame basketball coaching careers Gary Williams at Boston College, uh, Jim Calhoun at Northeastern, and Rick Pitino at BU, all began in Boston at roughly the same time, in the late 1970s and early 1980s. And it struck me that nobody really covered this period very well. Uh, it was kind of under the shadows in Boston, because obviously you had the Celtics being the championship team that year, you had the Red Sox, you have the Bruins. The Patriots weren't quite at the level they are at now, but you had four major pro sports overshadowing this world of college sports in Boston during the time period. And I, and I thought it deserved to be covered in its book-length form. If you look at the memoirs of those three guys, they all cover this period in very, very short uh, periods of time in their books. Gary Williams talks about his time at BC in like four pages. Patino spends like seven pages on BU. And Calhoun spends maybe two chapters on Northeastern. It's primarily a Connecticut book, and understandably so. That's where these these guys all made their made their bones elsewhere. But I thought this, this coming of age for all, all of these ambitious young coaches needed a, needed a full-length book coverage. Absolutely, and uh, how they how their careers intersected is kind of amazing. Of course, uh, Rick Pitino still coaching, and uh, Hall of Fame careers uh, for all of them with uh, with you know approaching three decades of success uh, on the court and. Uh, and these guys are all personalities as well, which makes uh, makes the writing or makes the stories easier for you, probably, uh, telling the stories. Very much so. I did over 100 interviews for the book, and I think I really got a sense of each of the men by doing that. I had the pleasure of speaking with both Gary Williams and Jim Calhoun, who were very generous with their time. I wasn't able to talk to Patino. I think he may have ended up being a little gun-shy on dealing with a lot of the press in recent years because of some of the stuff that's gone on in his life and in his career. But I was able to speak with dozens of former players and staff members at BU who, who worked with him during the early 80s. So I think I got a good sense of him as well. And, and, and I hope the book is more than just box scores, more than just game accounts. It's the story of the people who lived through this and the story of the relationships that developed on these teams. In many ways, it's a book as much about the players and, and, and what they felt for each other, the bonds they developed. Uh, as it is the coaches. So it's a story of recruiting, a story of coaching, it's a story of basketball in this emergence of March Madness era. You you have the three-pointer coming in in this time period, the shot clock, the expansion of the NCAA tournament, the growth of all these big conferences. So these guys are all beginning to build their careers in the midst of all these radical changes in college basketball. So so it's, it's a window into a radically changing sports landscape. Yeah, and the, the we're with Clayton Truder here, Boston Ball, Rick Pitino, Jim Calhoun, 
Gary Williams and the Forgotten Cradle of Coaches, of course, talking about the city of Boston. And uh, Clayton, you talked with uh, former players of these coaches, kind of a who's who of, uh, of college basketball. What's kind of the underlying theme of uh, uh, what these players said about these, uh, these three coaches? anything what struck me was the unique path each of them took to become successful. By the late 1970s, the college game was so dominated by the big man, whether it was Walton or, or, or Jabbar or Artis Gilmore, that if you wanted to have a successful team, you needed a seven-footer. And there weren't that many of them to go around into these relatively minor New England programs. They weren't going to get those players. So if they were going to reach the NCAA tournament, which they all did, they needed to develop a different approach. And each of these coaches relied on pressing and fast break and trapping and playing a very, very uh, up-tempo game, a very uh, defensively aggressive game, which was much different than the very big man-oriented basketball that came to dominate college in the time period. Even UCLA, which had a vaunted press in the 60s, by the 70s is relying to a great extent on big men to continue its, its championship run. So in many ways, this book is an origin story for modern college basketball, but the kind of game that started to emerge in the 80s into the 90s, which in many ways more resembled almost street basketball in a historical sense. Um, you see that come of it. You see that start to come of age in the programs that are uh, in Boston in this time period, namely with Calhoun, uh, Williams, and uh, Rick Pitino. Yeah, really interesting characters. Uh, great coaches. Uh, six national championships, 13 Final Fours uh, among all three of them. Uh, of course, we're talking about them spending a, a short amount of time but coming out of Boston. And uh, is there, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but is there any uh, mention or did they get anything maybe from the great Celtics teams that were there when, when they were coaching? Red Arbach, of course, uh, other great coaches there and, and players in Boston. Is there any Celtic influence? There's a surprising amount of interaction between the Celtics and the guys on these teams, particularly in the preseason uh, of each season. But there were definitely relationships that developed between these players. And then Robert Parrish, Danny Ainge, Bill Walton, they all come up in, to, to some extent in the book. Bird to a little bit lesser extent, DJ to a little bit lesser extent. Cedric Maxwell comes up quite a bit. Yeah. A lot of the major figures on those dynastic Celtics teams certainly interacted a lot with these guys. And, and, and people interested in the Celtics of that time period, I think we'll find a lot a lot of interest in this book. Uh, just a different way to look at, at, at their dynasty as well. Any, anything on the relationship between these three guys? I mean, they uh, they were all coaching... Uh, some, some, a couple of them in the same conference, but then different conferences. And of course, Coach Patino moved around a lot. What kind of, uh, what, what, what kind of relationships did these three guys have? When, particularly because BU and Northeastern were in the same conference, the ECAC North, which has since uh, evolved into America East. Um, Calhoun and Patino had a fairly contentious relationship when they were in Boston together, but those were two teams vying for the same tournament bid every year. Both of them talked about whether whether it was interviewing them or in, in things I've read that they've uh, written that they would they were both running along with Charles River and they'd be running in opposite directions and, and not acknowledge each other. So in that time period, there certainly was some animosity between those two. But I, th- I think that muted over time, and there's certainly professional rivalries. So I think there's respect among all three of these guys. I don't think Jerry Williams had a, had, a, had a contentious relationship with either of these guys being in a different league. 
in many ways because BC was in the Big East, that was what they were aiming for, both, both BU and Northeastern, to be the top team in the city. And during that time period, neither BU or Northeastern could get past them. BC in the early 80s was a very, I think, historically underrated team in particular. I mean, they went to four Sweet 16s in five years. They got to the Elite Eight, uh, both with Gary Williams and his predecessor, Tom Davis. BC had some absolutely fantastic teams in the early 80s with players like John Bagley and Michael Adams and a little bit later Dana Barrows, guys with very good pro careers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite remarkable what they did in the Big East that people never talk about it. Yeah, we're heading into college basketball season. Should be a wide-open season again, exciting. Uh, this is a great primer for uh, college basketball season with Clayton Truder uh, wrapping up here. And uh, uh, Clayton, um, these three guys, unique coaches, and Rick Patino still coaching. How has he re- uh, been able to remain relevant through? I mean, so tons, as you mentioned, tons of changes in college basketball over the last thirty years. Uh, how has he been able to adapt and and survive and thrive this long? I think you can actually see it in my book a little bit how Patino is able to do this because he's very willing to evolve with the times. For example, when he he, he coaches at BU from 78 to 83. He's an assistant with the Knicks for a couple of years. Then he returns to college coaching at Providence, who led to a Final Four. And the year he came in was the first year of the three-pointer in college basketball. And he, and he made it the focus of his team to become the best three-point shooting team in the conference. Not only did they become the best three-point shooting team in the conference, they were the best three-point shooting team in the country, but there was Pop Lewis or Billy Donovan. During the preseason, all these guys could do was shoot three-pointers. If they took a two-point shot, they had to go run sprints. So they were very focused on, on adapting to this new strategy. Even though that Providence team was almost certainly not as talented as most of their peers in the Big East, they found a way to strategically overcome it. And I think that demonstrates Patino's willingness to evolve with the times. And, there have been myriad changes in college basketball since then, and I think Patino has, has proven very adept at rolling with the punches over time. Yeah, that was a fun Providence team that got to the Final Four, and uh, uh, this has been great. Uh, Boston Ball, Rick Patino, Jim Calhoun, Gary Williams, and the forgotten cradle of coaches. All these guys have had great coaching trees and legacies that have come off of them. You mentioned that in the book. And this is just a, uh, a great read here for the fall, Clayton, and I uh, really appreciate you coming on. We'll put all the links in the show notes uh, to the book and uh, really enjoy talking uh, college hoops with you, too. Rick, th- thanks so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Great. Thanks so much.